They're meeting at this moment in Washington. Their first face-to-face -face talks in two years. Israel launches third day of attacks on Gaza. A second day of riots, which have now claimed at least seven lives. A tsunami of instability. The suicide blasts in the Moscow metro system uh, leads our news today. Water and fuel prices have also gone up. Jordan, the Palestinian territories, Sudan, Yemen, the list really goes on. The wars and the terrorism, this is all the birth pain. These are the beginnings of what's coming. So it's May 22nd, and you and I are still here, all right? So how many, how many of you guys were aware of that, that there was someone out there who had predicted May 21st, rapture was going to happen, Jesus is going to come back, yeah. So here, here's the, I just want to say this out loud one more time for you guys, because there, there were people that were worried. They were like, <laughs> if someone predicts the day, that's probably the day Jesus isn't coming back, okay? And just because some knucklehead out there puts something on it. Here, look, look. Jesus said this, okay? Matthew chapter 24, the disciples turn to Jesus. They say, when's all this going to happen, Jesus? And Jesus, here's his answer. The angels in heaven don't even know the day. The Son of God, Jesus said, I don't even know the day. Only the Father knows the day. And, and when, when some guy gets out there and goes, look, I'm smarter than Jesus, and I figure this out, just put a big circle on that day and go, Jesus ain't coming back that day. It ain't, it ain't gonna happen. And, and guys, here's the part that is so disappointing and so frustrating is because you, you, know, you and I get it, and we saw it, but you realize there's people who are far from God who saw those same billboards and went, okay, Bunch of wacky Christians again. And you know what? They, they saw people who sold their houses and bought motorhomes so they could drive around and tell everybody. Uh, they saw Christians who stopped paying their mortgages because Jesus was coming back. And the guy, the guy who did this already raised, CNN is reporting, over $70 million dollars. And that's just one more time that people who are far from God go, see... See, see, and you and I end up having to live with the fallout of that. And so here's the deal. Next time, and I'm just going to tell you, next time some guy's out there and he says, I'm telling you what, and buy my book, don't buy the book. Tell all your friends, hey, I know exactly the day Jesus isn't coming back. And then you, but here's, here's, the, here's, here's the part you got to get, okay? I, I, we're not, we're not. You get we believe this. You get that, that you know, it, despite the weirdos and the whack, we believe, we believe, we believe, we believe, we believe, we believe with all of our heart that Jesus could come back at any moment. Scripture says that. And matter of fact, God's not going to reveal the day because he wants us to live like every single day could be the last day. So he's not going to reveal the date. And so you and I believe this with all our heart. We're just not going to go chase after the weirdos along the way, okay? All right, 
Here's the deal. We're going to jump in uh, to a conversation today about the tribulation, which in all likelihood is probably the thing which you've maybe heard all sorts of little bits and pieces about, probably maybe even have the most misinformation about. And we're just going to try and put this all in perspective. We're going to try and uh, get it to all line up for us. And the tribulation, just Bible says that there's going to be seven years. So that's the reason we put a seven appearance. There's going to be seven years that like the earth has never experienced before. Matter of fact, the Bible says this. If God hadn't shortened those days, in other words, if it was any longer than seven years, the earth couldn't survive it. That's how bad uh, it's going to get. So grab your Bibles. We're going to take a look at this. Uh, we're going to do a flyover. You get that this is about 14 chapters in the book of Revelation. There's no way we're going to get everything, but you and I are going to come away hopefully with a really good understanding of the basic things that are going to happen during this moment. And the interesting thing is, is you can really kind of take those seven years and divide them into three bite-sized pieces. So we're going to try and uh, do that together here in just a minute. Okay, grab your Bibles. We're going to go to Revelation chapter 6. All right, so here's, here's what we're about to do together. The Bible says there's a seven-year period called the tribulation. That period begins with something that you and I have already spent time talking about, uh, the rapture, this moment in which Jesus calls out of this world all of the Christians, that all of us are caught up uh, and taken away. That marks immediately after the rapture, this seven-year period uh, begins. And actually, it's interesting because it's kind of divided up. There's three and a half years that you just got to imagine the worst chaos, the, the worst economic crisis ever, uh, war raging through the world, disease and famine uh, like the world has never seen before. And are you ready? And that's the good part of the tribulation. Uh, there then comes kind of a transition right here in the middle. We'll talk about that together. And then the last three and a half years get worse. That's the part of the tribulation that the Bible says if God had not shortened those days, it's as if the universe goes off its hinges and everything begins to implode and fall apart. There's the seven years. So here we go. We're going we, to start with this first part, the three and a half years that are bad before it gets really bad, okay? And those three and a half years are described in Revelation chapter 6. This is going to be the easiest time you ever have in church finding it's the last book of the Bible, okay? So Revelation chapter 6, uh, here it is. Uh, we'll start in verse 1. <clears throat> Here's what it says. I watched as the Lamb, and you notice the word Lamb is capitalized because this is the Lamb of God. This is Jesus Christ. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked up, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out to conquer, bent on conquest. When the Lamb had opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! And then another horse came out, a fiery red one. 
Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. And get this next phrase. To him was given a large sword. Verse 5. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was, wearing, was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And then I heard what sounded like a voice from among the four living creatures say, A quart of wheat for a day's wages, and three quarts of barley for a day's wages. And so in other words, it's talking about in this moment, it will literally, food will become so expensive that it will cost you an entire day's worth of wage to feed yourself. And then finally, and do not damage the oil and the wine. Verse 7, when the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked up, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power, ready, over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. Okay, so a lot of us, and even in secular culture, you've heard the conversation about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. You get that that actually comes right out of this passage. It's actually biblical. And the very beginning of the tribulation is set off by these four riders uh, being released. In all likelihood, figurative. It's just a way of expressing what's going to happen in that moment. But here we go. Here, here are the four uh, horsemen. The first one that comes, interesting enough, is white. And, and you might on first impression say, well, that's got to be Jesus. It's not Jesus. It's an imposter. Matter of fact, it says he comes to conquer and conquering. And it's actually Antichrist. So what we do know is, is that one of the first things at the inception of the tribulation is that Antichrist for the first time apparently becomes prominent and noticed. A lot of Christians have asked, hey, well, will Christians know who the Antichrist is before the tribulation? My best guess is probably not. Because it seems to infer here that he comes on the scene and actually is noticed right after the rapture. That's when the first horseman comes. But here's the deal. He's going to come on the scene and the world's going to be embroiled in war. The world's going to be embroiled in chaos in this moment. And he's going to be the golden boy. He's going to, everything he says is going to seem like it works. Every plan that he comes up with is going to look like success. And he is suddenly going to rise to people and go, this guy is remarkable. Can you believe everything he puts his hand to turns out right? And in this opening period of the tribulation is when he begins to be noticed and begins to rise uh, to world prominence on the deal. But here's, here's what's interesting. Notice that he counterfeits himself. Notice he comes on the, the white horse. Literally during this period of time, people will begin to believe that he is Messiah, that he is Jesus. Matter of fact, the Jewish nation during this first three and a half year period will say, you know, that Jesus guy back in Jerusalem, I mean, he was, he was not the guy, he was wrong, but this is clearly Messiah, and they will worship and follow him as if he were the promised one. Second horse. Second horse that comes out is the red horse, which is the horse of war. And you notice the phrasing said, and he was given a huge sword. You know, an awful lot of times when you hear people talk about it, in times they talk about Armageddon being World War III, chances are the tribulation starts with World War III. 
that there is just huge fighting within the chaos that ensues, that there is all sorts of countries vying for world power, and that the world is literally embroiled in war. The Bible says, and he had a large sword. The third horse uh, that comes is economic disaster. It talks about taking an entire day's worth of wages just to drive through McDonald's. And, and the, the economy has absolutely collapsed in this moment. Now, stop and think about this. I, I've, got a, I've got a sense that potentially it's the absence of Christians that has brought on the econ- economic decline. If you think about the rapture, there's great potential that probably somewhere around, ready, 900 million people vanish in that moment. Think about 900 million people not paying their mortgage. 900 million people not paying Visa back or their car payment. And and guys, you you and I should get this moment. I mean, stop and think about what just happened in our local area, in the Phoenix area, when people began to walk away from their mortgages and the absolute downturn. But imagine a moment, an instant in which 900 million people and no one's paying their mortgage, no one's paying the house payment because see, all these Christians are gone and so the world inherits their consumer debt which is why as Christians, you might as well just run, no, I'm teasing, I'm te- no, 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 okay? But un- you understand the collapse of that, right? You understand the absolutely catastrophic effect that that would have on the world economy. And so the world economy begins to collapse. And then finally, it says that there is disease and plague and famine. And we don't know if this is a result of the war. We don't know if this is a separate. T- All we know is simply this, that it says that a quarter of the earth's population dies during that period of time. Now, here's the thing I think that's interesting, is that in the midst of this, the vast majority of the earth does not acknowledge that God has anything to do with it. I mean, so the passage just said it was the Lamb of God. Jesus himself was releasing the first four horsemen. And yet the world doesn't, they they see it as absolutely natural moments, the result of human decision. They say, well, look, the economy's been bad before. I mean, it's worse than it's been, but, and, and there's been disease before, and there's been war before, and they absolutely do not see the hand of God in the moment. And so they go to try to find you ready human remedy to fix it when it's spiritual in quality. I wonder how many moments in your life and my life that have absolutely been the hand of God orchestrating and moving and doing. And you and I thought it was merely human effort. We got that promotion at work. And we said, thank you, thank you. You know, that that just goes to show you what a lot of hard work and staying late and a couple good presentations will do for you. Really? That that was human. God, God had nothing to do with that promotion. Some of us have moved here to Arizona and 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 we thought that was all our plan. That was all our thinking. You know, we sat around the dinner table and we said, hey, you know, there's jobs in Arizona. The economy is really good. And we moved here. 
And, and we're pretty sure you and I made this plan. Is it possible? Is it possible that God sat at that table with you? That what you thought was absolutely your own thinking, your own planning, your own... It was actually the hand of God. See, you're pretty sure you bought the house that you bought in the neighborhood that you bought because you liked the floor plan. Is it possible that God looked down in your neighborhood and said, they need a Christian on this block? And that's why you're there? I, I wonder how many moments of our lives we have attributed to human capacity and human decision-making that may have actually been the hand of God. And we didn't notice. There's a, an interesting thing that happens during this early period of time uh, in the tribulation. God actually raises up 144,000 prophets. It, there's 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. They're actually Jews who convert uh, to Christianity and begin to absolutely share the gospel all over the world. And a matter of fact, in these early years of the tribulation, the gospel is spreading like wildfire. It, it, it almost feels a little bit like a revival. And uh, someone asked me after uh, one of the services, well, where are all these Christians coming from if all the Christians were taken? Anybody in the room ever shared their faith with somebody and they didn't believe? Okay, two of us. That's good. We're doing a good job. Yeah. Okay, so let's just imagine if the rapture happened tomorrow, what do you think our two friends are going to do? See, I got a feeling that people that you and I have shared our faith with that we've told this story to and we've said, hey, look, you just need to know that, that if the rapture, I mean, I think you're going to have people going, holy cow, those Christians were right. And I think you're going to have all sorts of Bible studies spontaneously breaking out if the rapture happens tomorrow. And people are going to come to, and, and talk about urgent to tell this story. If you believe you're in the tribulation, tell me how urgently you would tell other people about Jesus. And literally, revival begins to break out. Now, here's the thing. Some of us are going, well, that's cool because everybody gets a second chance. I mean, that's neat. No, no, no. You become a Christian during the tribulation, it'll probably cost you your life. Before this is all said and done, Christians will be made the scapegoats of the tribulation. Antichrist will turn his face, and literally the world will begin to slaughter people for having faith in Jesus. It will cost everything to believe on Jesus during this seven years. It will not be fun to be a Christian during the tribulation. Okay? So first three and a half years, that's... that's kind of how this goes, and then, then you get to a midpoint, okay, so what has already been bad, economic collapse, famine that sweeps the, the world, war that goes on, if that's not bad enough, we now get to transition, and then we get to the worst. So grab your Bibles again, go with me to a passage that kind of describes this transitional moment, uh, and it's Revelation chapter 13. going to be a little bit to the right in your Bible. Revelation chapter 13. Okay, Revelation chapter 13, starting in verse 2, is going to describe this midpoint in the tribulation. 
the beast, and the beast is another word for antichrist. You, you all heard of the mark of the beast. This is where that comes from. It comes from this passage. The beast, antichrist, I saw resembled a leopard, but he had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon, which is actually a symbol for Satan, the dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and his great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed, and the whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Now, so here's what's happening. You've got Antichrist on the world scene, but up until now, he hasn't, he hasn't pulled it all together. He's just the golden boy. But in this moment, he's beginning to coalesce his powers, and he's saying, look, look, look here's the deal. I can fix the economy. I, I can fix I can, I can fix the war. But if you do that, you got to put me in charge. I, you got to write me a blank check. I got to be the man if we're going to do that. And just as the world is considering that, and just as he's coalescing the powers that be, the Bible says he ends up with a head wound. We don't know what that is. We don't know how that happens. We don't know if some rogue Christian says, hey, look, I'm going to fix this and tries to assassinate. We don't know. But he ends up with a head wound that ought to be mortal, and somehow he heals. He doesn't just survive. He heals from it. And suddenly, the world says, wow. I, I knew. I knew this guy was supernatural. I knew this guy had unbelievable. The Jews all go, he has told you, told you, Messiah, told you. And suddenly, the world falls in lock and step with him. This is the moment, this mid-moment, is when you finally get to a one-world government, a one-world economy with Antichrist as the prime minister, the president, whatever that is, running the world. Watch what happens next. Verse 4, men worshipped the dragon. So get this, men are worshipping Satan. Because he had given authority to the beast, to Antichrist, and they also worshipped the beast. And they asked, who is like the beast, and who can make war against him? During this period of time, the world unites under a unified religion. See, one of the things that is said is, look, 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 look. Part of why we're having problems and part of what's going on is all the dissension all the narrow-mindedness of religious people. That's what's caused so much of this. So here's where we're, 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 we're not going to fight about that. We're, just, we're all going to join. We're going to coexist. And he sets up a one-world prophet and a one-world church, and you cannot belong to anything besides the one-world church. And you're going to say, look, 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 we don't necessarily even care what you believe. It's okay as long as you believe it with us. Because there's a there's hundred ways to God, and let's stop fighting about us. You get that's a lie. You get that there are not a hundred ways to God. And that, 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 is, that is a lie from the pits of hell. Because here's the reality. You ready for this? If there... When it comes to faith, there is truth and there is false. And it does matter what you believe. 
What you believe makes a difference. Jesus said it this way, guys. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. And you just need to know that the only answer is a Savior who died on a cross for us. And during this period of time, they will kill Christians for saying that. But it matters. So the one world church. Let's keep going. Verse 5. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. That's why we know this is the midpoint of the tribulation. He's coming to power at this moment. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. So here's the deal. In this moment, Antichrist makes Christians the scapegoat. Isn't it interesting that, that almost every dictatorial leader who's ever risen to prominence always has a group of people to blame for the problems of their society? Think, think back to World War II Germany. And think about the moment... They had just finished going through war. Their economy was in collapse. And a golden boy by the name of Hitler came and said, I can fix this. But here's what you need to know. Those guys over there, the Jews, they are the ones ruining this for the rest of us. They are the problem. And if you put me in control and if you put me in part of this is, we've got to get rid of them. And isn't it interesting that Antichrist will use exactly the same tactic? They'll say, look, 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 this can be put back together. I can do it. But it means getting rid of the Christians in order to do it. Guys, I don't know. I don't know if in the midst of the tribulation that maybe God has been blessing Christians and maybe it hasn't been quite as hard on them as it's been on the rest. And so now they're furious. They're they're angry. How come? And, And so Antichrist will set up and say, they're the problem. And from this moment forward, they will begin to literally hunt down and cause Christians to be killed. Remember we talked about the whole idea of the one world uh, government. And part of the economy in this moment is going to be you have to take the mark of the beast. And we said together, you know, you know could, this, could this be retinal scan? Could, could it be a hand, you know, that you place on and your fingerprints? Are, I don't, you don't know. But here's the deal. Something about the mark has to be received. I, I don't know if it's a chip. I, I don't know if it's some sort of ink, you know, and you put it under a certain light and you can see it, you know, kind of like Disneyland. You know, I don't know. I don't know. But there's something about the mark that has to be received. Here's how you know that. is because Scripture tells us that receiving the mark involves a decision. And it is a once and forever decision. That apparently Antichrist says, look... If you're going to be part of my one world government, if you're going to be part of the economy, you've got to swear allegiance to me. And this is a one-time forever decision. You're either with me or you're against me. And if you're with me, then get the mark. 
Because over and over and over again in Scripture, it talks about Christians as being those who, ready, refused to get the mark. Because there seems to be a moment in which it says, once you make that decision, once you pledge that allegiance, you have chosen your side, and you don't get to choose again. It's a one-time call. This transition period ends with a thing called the abomination of desolation. It's an interesting moment. Antichrist, as one of his ways of winning the hearts of the Jewish people, has restored the temple. So there's, for the first time, temple worship going on, which is an amazing moment because many of you know that, that there's right now a Muslim mosque over the top of the temple site. Somehow, Antichrist is able to navigate and negotiate and the temple is rebuilt and reopened. And the Jews say, told you, told you this has to be Messiah. That all changes with a moment called the abomination of desolation, which is simply this. The Bible says that he erects an image of himself, apparently about 70 feet tall, in the temple. And in that moment, the Jews go, oh my goodness, we've been duped. Why does, a t why does an idol in the temple change the hearts of the Jews? Why does it make it obvious to them? Ten commandments. Commandment number two. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. And the moment he does that, they immediately say, this guy cannot be from God, he cannot be Messiah, and they turn. And suddenly, from this moment forward, the Jews are as hated as the Christians, and they begin to be slaughtered too. Now guys, here's the, here's the sense, and here's what we know about the slaughter. So many people die for their faith in Jesus Christ that the Bible says you cannot number the number of martyrs during this period of time. Matter of fact, if you want to take a look at it, it's Revelation chapter 7, and here's what happens. John, who's writing the book of Revelation, is standing next to an angel, and the angel says to him, hey, look over there at the throne of Jesus Christ. And when he looks, there's a multitude, John says, of so many people that you could not number the number of people who were standing in white robes around the bottom of Jesus' throne. And then this angel says to him, who, who do you think those people are. And John says, I have no idea. And the angel says to him, those are the people who have given their lives for Jesus in the tribulation. And the number could not be numbered. That's the slaughter of the tribulation. And now, you ready? It gets worse. Okay? So go with me to a passage that begins to describe the really bad part of the tribulation. It's going to be Revelation chapter 8. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 8. This is, the, this is the second three and a half years. This is, this is the hinges coming off. This is when bad gets really bad. Here we go. Revelation chapter 8, starting in verse 7. Uh, here's what it says. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down upon the earth. And get this, ready? A third of the earth was burned up, 
A third of the trees were burned up, and all the grass was burned up. Imagine what that does to the food supply in the world. Imagine what it's like to walk into grocery stores and they're empty during this period of time. A third of all the vegetation in the world has immediately been consumed. Verse 8. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. Now, guys, I don't, we don't know. I mean, what huge mountain ablaze, is, are we talking about a huge meteorite? I, I don't know. Is this, is this something that's physical, or is it something supernatural? I don't know. But here's what it says happens. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of all the world's ships were destroyed in that moment. Verse 10. A third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on a third of the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. And some theologians come back and they go, hey, is it, could this thing called wormwood that comes down, looks like a falling, could that be a nuclear attack? Could this turning bitter of the waters be the radioactive fallout from a nuclear assault? I don't know. I don't, I don't, because we don't know. We don't, is, is John describing something supernatural? Is he describing something physical that you and I would see. Here's what I do know. When this moment happens, people will turn to the book of Revelation and they'll go, oh my goodness. It's exactly as the Bible described. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of the day was without light and also a third of the night. Now here's, if it was a nuclear attack, the cloud, the plume, the dust that would rise out of that assault, wouldn't that make the sun hard to see and the stars and the moon? I don't know. I don't know. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out with a loud voice. Ready for this? Whoa, 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 because it's about to get worse. To the inhabitants of the earth, because the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. And then here's what happens next. Remember that we talked a few weeks ago about these locusts that come up. And remember they had teeth like lions. Remember they had wings that were like thundering uh, hooves of, of cavalry. And remember they had tails like scorpions. We said, could those be helicopters? Remember they were given the power to cause men to suffer for seven months. We said, you know, are we talking some sort of chemical warfare going on. You know, we don't know. I don't, we don't know. Is it something that you and I would recognize? Is it literally beasts that are being released on the earth? But here's the interesting next one. The Bible then goes on in chapter 9 to describe an army that comes out of the east. 200 million men strong. Here's what happens in the moment. The world is coming off its hinges. The world has gone into chaos. And finally, at the end of these three and a half years, the, the, this nation is saying, look, we can run this place as good as Antichrist can. We'll just take it from here. 
And so this army from the east, 200 million men strong, whose logo, is this interesting? Scripture describes as a dragon, comes out of the east and begins to declare war on the Antichrist. It's the battle of Armageddon. And the Bible says that the slaughter that happens in that moment is so bad, the loss of life so catastrophic, that blood runs as deep as the bit in a horse's mouth. Now, here's the interesting thing. Never in the history of the world has any nation been able to field a 200 million man army. There was never enough population. There has never in the history of the world been a nation that could field a 200 man army, 200 million man army. Until, you ready? 1960. Anybody know the nation? China. Isn't it interesting? The Bible says in their logo was a dragon. Here's, in the midst of the battle of Armageddon, in the midst of this army fighting the Antichrist, in the midst of the slaughter, Jesus comes back. It's the second coming. And in this moment, he comes to earth. But you want to hear something incredible? When they see Jesus coming back, the armies of the dragon and the armies of Antichrist turn their tanks, fly their planes at Jesus Christ. Their last gasp is to fight the Son of God rather than repent. Is that incredible? Now, as you and I, we've talked about tribulation. If you and I aren't careful, we, we talk about tribulation, and it feels like God has just gotten mad. It feels like maybe God is just taking like thousands and thousands of years of frustration with humans out in seven years. And he's just going, okay, to you, you know, for seven. That is not what's happening in the tribulation. You ready for your minds to get blown? The tribulation is actually a love story. Let me see if I can help you with that. How many of you are parents of teenagers? Okay. All right. You're going to get this. <laughs> when you've got a teenager going crazy, if you love that teenager, you will do whatever you have to do to get their attention. So all of a sudden they're off and they're acting like, an idiot and hanging with the people they shouldn't be hanging with and doing stuff that you never wanted your daughter, never wanted your son to do. And so you say, look, I, I'm, I'm just going to get your attention. I'm, I'm, we're going we're gonna to nib this in the bud. So here's what I do. We're taking away your cell phone. See, I, I'm going to do whatever's necessary to wake you up. And in that moment they go, I don't care. I don't care. I'm bigger than you. So you up the ante. You go, all right, all right. You're grounded. You go, all right, all right, all right. We're bringing out the big guns. You have to watch your little brother. And, and you get it. You, you, what you're doing, you're, you're just up in the stakes. You're just saying, look, look, look. What does it take for me to get your attention? Because the way you're living your life, the way you're going right now is going to lead to nothing but pain. So I'm just going to up the spanking each time. I'm going to up the stakes until I finally get you to go, look, mom, dad, I give up. I get, I'm wrong. I give up. You win. You get that's the tribulation. That in the tribulation, here we are. We're coming to the end of human history. 
And God loves you and me and loves the world too much to say, I'm going to let the close of human history come and not do whatever I have to do to get the attention of people who have refused, refused, refused to follow me. And so when you watch the tribulation, it's literally spanking, and then they go, we don't like you, God. And he, he ups the stakes. And then they say, no, we refuse. And he ups the stakes. And you literally watch. All th- it's literally God saying, when will you give in? How long, how long do I have to keep before you bow the knee and admit that I'm God and you're not? And with the same love that a parent disciplines their teen, God disciplines the world to say, there's not much time and I've got to get your attention. The irony of the moment is the world turns out to be stubborn out of anybody's mind. Anybody got a friend like that? I I don't care how bad they get beat up, they are not going to listen to anybody but themselves. Years ago when I was youth pastor and I had a kid in my youth group, his name was Jimmy, and man, when Jimmy was on fire for God, you've never seen a Christian like Jimmy when he was on fire. When Jimmy was backslidden, wow. He'd drink till he passed out. He'd mess with every female he could find. He ended up getting married and abandoned his family. And when, when Jimmy was off for God, he was off. And, and all of us that called Jimmy friend, I mean, all of us that loved him, just watched as God would spank Jimmy, and then Jimmy would refuse and get mad, and then, and then God upped the stakes a little bit, and Jimmy would still shake his face, and then God would up the stakes in Jimmy's life. Jimmy would lose jobs, and he couldn't figure out why. And Man, there, there were decisions that Jimmy made that, I mean, they were good decisions. I mean, anybody else make that decision, it turns out good, and they turned out bad for Jimmy. I mean, it was just so obvious that God was spanking Jimmy. The Jimmy was saying, what do I have to do to get your attention? And he kept up the mistakes. <clears throat> if you were to sit down and talk to Jimmy today, he'd tell you that he's an atheist who hates God with all of his heart. It's interesting to me that you can be mad at somebody who doesn't exist. I wonder how many of us in this room are in a Jimmy moment, are in a tribulation moment where God is spanking. And and you're going to have to make a call whether or not to say, I get it. I get it, God. You're getting in my way and you're getting my attention and you're asking me to just give up. Stop fighting you. And how many of us are still shaking the fist? get that the spankings of God are a love story to children who he refuses to say I will not let you ignore me I will not let you keep going where you're going because it will bring nothing but heartache and pain and I love you enough to take the cell phone away 
Let's have a word of prayer. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we just we come before you to thank you. Thank you that as Christians we know that we don't face the tribulation. Because it is. It's a spanking, and, and, and we would simply be in the way. The spanking was not intended for us. But God, I, I just ask that we would live our lives knowing every moment that these could be the final days. This could be end of days, which means that, that we would live better, that we would tell our friends so that they would never see these moments, that they would never go through the spanking themselves. God, help us at Cornerstone to live like Christians who believe that their Lord could come back at any time. And God, my, my prayer, my, my prayer is that someday we get to heaven and there's a big crowd. Someone says, who are those guys? And someone would say, that's that Cornerstone Church. Man, they just, they just lived their lives so on fire for Jesus and they just told so many of their friends about God because they believed with all their heart that they were living in the end of days. God, let that be our story. In Jesus' name, amen.